Well, friends, I want to invite up my good friend, Laura Murphy. Laura is a pastor, and she and I first got connected uh, when she was in Springfield. And uh, we both share a passion for um, an assessment, a personality assessment called Clifton Strengths. And I love Laura because she and I have so many strengths in common. So I just think she's great. Uh, Laura comes to us from the Missouri United Methodist Foundation. She's going to tell you a little bit about that, but they do amazing work. Um, the foundation is an organization that uh, blesses so many folks and, and does so many great things, including offers some of the support that helps Pastor Kiray be a part of our church. And so uh, the foundation is, is near and dear uh, to us, and we're very grateful for their ministry, and I'm very grateful for Laura's ministry. She has a passion uh, and a pastor's heart in all the work that she does, and I'm very excited for uh, you to hear what she has to say about what I think is a very important topic. So won't you help me in welcoming on this blustery day, Laura Murphy! Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Um, as uh, the Director of Development for the Missouri United Methodist Foundation, our office is in Columbia. I live in Kansas City, but I cover the entire state. So every Sunday I'm in a different church in a different part of the state, and it, it was a joy today to have a 22-minute commute. And so um, I love being here with you to be in ministry with Adam. Um, I was uh, one time the pastor at Gashland United Methodist Church in North Kansas City, and I fell in love with the Northland at that time, and uh, we eventually moved back into the area. Um, at the foundation, we do a variety of things to help churches and individuals live into their mission. While we are separate from the Missouri Conference, we do help churches in that living into their mission, and we also help individuals. We give out grants to churches and to clergy. We um, also, what I do is uh, help generate generosity in churches through stewardship and helping grow cultures of generosity in a church. We help churches with all kinds of financial things. But when I work individually with somebody, I'm almost always working with them about a legacy. And that's why it's a joy to be here with you in your What's Next sermon series. Because when I talk to folks about legacy, I sometimes am talking about the financial aspects of leaving a legacy. But also there's more to it than that. I always tell people it's our story. It's how we've lived out our life that really also makes a difference in our legacy. In all the years that I pastored churches, I journeyed with so many people through the changes that happen in life. And often we were dealing with the companion that comes along with change, and that is grief. There, whenever there is a change in life, there's always this opportunity to open up and have to grieve something we're leaving behind, something that is lost in the change. We see this when there's a fractured relationship. Whether the fraction in the relationship is in a marriage that causes divorce, or a family to fracture, or a friendship. We see it when there is a loss of job or a loss of income. There's a change in what has to be left behind. Even sometimes we move forward knowing something better ahead of us and good ahead of us, we still have to go back and talk about the emotions around what was left. It really happens anytime there is change in life, and I think we experienced this greatly, all of us did, during the pandemic. We were grieving a loss of what we had. 
We had taken for granted so many everyday ways of life, and that was gone, and we had to live into something new, and there was grief. I see it happen when folks have an empty nest. There's grief because it's a change. It can also happen when we get a really severe diagnosis, something that's going to be life-changing. Then in those moments, it opens up for grief as well. Heck, it even just happens when a good friend moves away. And even though you know you'll see them again, it's going to be different. And we have to grieve what we've lost. And then, of course, there is that gut-wrenching grief that comes from losing somebody to death. In all of these cases, like I said, we leave something behind because grief is driven by the loss of what could have been leaving people feeling vulnerable and wholly exposed in their present life. Last week, I got a call from a friend of mine, and he said, you know, I, I just can't shake this fog I have. It's like this brain fog, and I've had it ever since my dad died a couple days before Christmas. As we talked, I said, I, I hate to tell you this, friend, but that fog that you're feeling is grief. It's part of the grief. It kind of hangs on to every edge of our life. And you can't just shake it. It's not going to just go away. In fact, I don't think we ever totally work through entirely through grief. But instead, we have to figure out how to best navigate it. And if we're lucky, as we work through it, we can begin to kind of wear it, to wear the grief in a way that becomes part of our future and shape who we will become. I told my friend, the first thing we need to do is acknowledge the presence of grief. That no matter what age we are, we can go through grief. And we have to acknowledge it's there. And then we have to be really kind to ourselves. And in his case, I said, you know, there might be times that tears just come across you when you least expect it. He goes, but I'm not a crier. I go, even more so, they could still come across you. Maybe it's leaving a meeting to say, I need 10 minutes or calling up a friend and saying, can I just share this memory with you? Because it's too painful to leave it to myself. But I said, the best thing though that can happen is if you let that person that you love, that relationship that you were part of, let that person become part of who you are now and how you treat others around you. Because grief is inevitable and it's a painful part of life. We cannot escape it. But knowing that grief has a way of robbing our joy, I think we all are really brave when we step into acknowledging and discussing grief. I think you are all really brave to be here today. Not only because you got out in the cold, and I get that. Not only because you uh, tuned in to be part of all of this today, I think you're brave to be able to say, I'm willing to step into that conversation about grief. To revisit some grief that you've had before, or some grief that may be down the road for you. Some of you are acutely aware of how painful grief can really be. Yet some of us can kind of escape and avoid grief. We think we can do it serendipitously, which just because we haven't had a lot of reasons to deal with grief maybe in your life yet, you think you can avoid it. Or maybe you intentionally avoid the grief. You know, you just keep stuffing it down. I'm not going to deal with it. But either way, 
grief will work its way back into our lives. And I know your psychic will make you deal with the heartache no matter what age you are, no matter what stage of life you're in, no matter how old you are and what caused that grief, we will eventually have to deal with it. And that's why today's message is for all of us. I hope today's message will help us with what is next and how we can handle our own grief and provide care and comfort for others in theirs. Because comfort and care, think about it. Comfort and care is what all of us want anytime we face trials and struggles in life. As believers in Christ that carry a hope of resurrection after death, at some level, we know that God always brings us comfort. But we're also so human. And in our humanity, we kind of forget about that. And it's the last place we go. We don't always think right away to turn to God. But as the burden gets heavier, as the struggles get greater, and the longer we carry it eventually out of desperation, we will find ourselves on our knees calling out, asking God for help. And it's then, it's then we can kind of still ourselves, still ourselves in that brokenness and see the way that God works through others here on earth to bring us comfort and peace through our struggles. I think a beautiful example of that comes from the Apostle Paul. He opens, in fact, one of his letters in to the Corinthians kind of in this way. He writes knowing that change is happening. And remember, when change happens, we might have to grieve what we've lost, what has been changed. And he knows that there is hurt on the horizons. In fact, his entire letter speaks words of hope and encouragement amidst the trials and the struggles. And it is evident that he wants these folks to look for those who can help them in those trials. Who will bring them comfort? It's in that first chapter of 2 Corinthians. It's here that Paul says, All praise to God and Father of our Master, Jesus the Messiah, Father of our mercy, God of all healing counsel. He comes alongside us when we go through the hard times. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone who is going through hard times so that we can be there with that person, just as God was there for us. We have plenty of hard times that come from following the Messiah, but no more so than the good times of his healing comfort. We get a full measure of that too. Folks, if you are facing trials today, if you have grief in your life, I'd like you to hear me greeting you very much the same way Paul greeted those folks over 2,000 years ago. Friends, I come to you today in the name of a merciful God. God that comforts us amidst our own grief and amongst our own struggles. I greet you in the hopes of bringing you comfort so that you may also comfort others when they hurt. Just as God shows his love and compassion to us, we need to be the hands and feet of Christ out in the world as well. I thought about it and I kept thinking, how can I let that scripture be truly illustrated to you in, in today's world? What might that look like? And I came upon a story in my mind that I remembered from years ago. 
It came from a friend of mine who shared with me her own journey of grief. Her story is that she and her husband had planned a really detailed plan so that they could retire fairly young and they could travel. It was what all their hopes and dreams had been all the time throughout their marriage. So they both finally got to that spot where they could retire. They both quit their jobs, and they're getting ready with all kinds of plans. And six months later, he died very suddenly. She said there was so much grief. She felt like she was robbed of that retirement that she would never get to enjoy with her husband. And she no longer even had the job that she had loved. She never even really grieved losing that. And now she knew she couldn't even go back to it. And she missed it and the people she worked with. But she said most of all, she lost her best friend, her soulmate, her companion for life, and how deeply that hurt. She said their house, their big house, used to be full of kids and activities and hopes and dreams. And she says now it's just her and a lot of memories. And on one particular night, she told me that she couldn't sleep. She got up in the darkness, and she wrapped herself in a blanket, and she just started walking through that house, thinking if she's at least moving, maybe things would feel better. And as she moved from room to room to room, she was praying, and she said at one point in time, she heard herself cry out, God, it hurts so bad. Will I ever laugh again? She continued her walk through the house. She thought, oh. I remember they made a recording of my husband's funeral. So she got up and she went to the stereo system and, and put that recording on. And she laughed because she kind of opened it and really laughed. She just kind of opened it up and thought, oh, look at that. Her husband was the technology one. She was not. He had taught her how to use all of it. And she saw a checklist that checklist that he had been down with her before of how to make the stereo system work so that you could hear it in every room of the house. He had made it that way so it would work that way. And so she turned it on and decided to turn it up a little bit, wrapped herself in that blanket and started pacing. And she heard the music from that funeral. She was comforted by the hymns as she walked back and turned it up a little louder and kept pacing through the house wrapped in that blanket and found so much comfort hearing the scriptures, and then hearing the voices of her husband's friends that spoke at his service. So she went and turned it up a little bit more. And then pretty soon the pastor came on to give the homily. And, you know, Adam and I know you always turn it up even louder when the pastor is on, right? You know, I can get an amen, right? So we, uh, turned, she turned it up even louder. And she wrapped that blanket and was wandering through the house and listening and finding comfort and started to hear a little bit of a tap that grew louder and louder, and she realized it was somebody banging on the front door. And she ran to the front door. We're all shocked at 3 in the morning when somebody knocks at the door. And as she got to the door, she suddenly realized she's alone in the house. And she didn't want to open the door, so she said, who is it? And a voice on the other side of the door said, it's the police. Open up. She was terrified, and you know, like all of us would, she threw open the door to find a very young police officer who shyly looked at his feet and said, ma'am, I'm so sorry to bother you, but it appears you're broadcasting your husband's funeral to the entire neighborhood. <laughs> and with that, she, oh, in embarrassment, ran to the stereo system and realized there was something on that checklist she had not remembered. And that was to turn off the speakers on the outside <laughs> of the house. 
as she stood there and closed her eyes, she said she could like feel her husband there and see him and a big old smile on his face. He had a great sense of humor. And suddenly something started to bubble inside her and it started to come up and it was laughter. One wave of laughter after another hit her. Her husband would find this hilarious and at that moment she felt he was there with her. But really it was just a bewildered young policeman watching her. But she says in that moment, God comforted her. Comforted her by reminding her that she would laugh again. That she would find her way through her grief. She went on to tell me that since that night, even in her grief, she's been actually acutely aware of the many ways her husband, while he was living, has brought comfort to her loss. She said she became aware of and was so grateful for the fact that her husband did have that sense of humor. He taught her about the healing balm of laughter. When alive, his sense of humor brought so much levity and clarity to things she said or into life, and you know, she said that there was moments that you know, she could feel her cup getting you know, half empty and just getting lower and lower. And his sense of humor and levity poured into her and filled her back up. She also said she was the day-to-day -day doer of the family. She's the one that kind of took care of making sure everybody got to where everybody needed to be and things were fed and taken care of. But it was her husband that did the planning, the big visioning, you know, kind of that big picture idea. And he had that vision for their retirement. He had carefully planned for their future that allowed them to be at this age so young and to retire. She laughed and said, you know, his plan included a lot of things. First of all, it included life insurance. Because, you know, the family always teased him. He'd say, yeah, you know, if you're leaving the country, you better have life insurance. So he always made sure those policies were up to date. And she said their investments had detailed notes all over them. It was like a roadmap. She said, you could see where we started and where we were and where we were going to end up. And then he had notes all over the house about little things. And the kids, the adult kids, would say, Dad, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And he'd say, well, you know, you just never know. When your mother and I are gone, if something happens here at the house, we're going to call on you to come fix it, and you need to know, like, where the water main shutoff is. We should all know where that is in the house. Know who fixes my roof, who mows my lawn, knows, you know, how the furnace is taken care of, and who, got, who helps me take care of that. And then he also had the little things that he put down on paper all the time, like his spreadsheet. He was one of those spreadsheet guys that had, you know, all about their income, their expenses, and their planning for the future. And then she said, there's the golden book. The golden book is the book of all the computer passwords. He was the one always thinking to keep those up to date and have them written down because he had been married to her for many years and she did not keep track of those technical things. She said those helped her navigate through life when he was alive but it had become her godsend now. But she also told me there's one other thing her husband really helped her with, and that was providing her with lots of travel companions. He was really good about encouraging her and both of them to tend to the relationships in their life with people in their neighborhood, their small group, their friends at church, their work companions, their family, 
to tend to those relationships. And he was always saying to somebody, you know, you're going to take one of our trips with us. Hey, you need to come with us. And now all these travel companions were traveling through grief alongside her and comforting her. She told me that her husband did a remarkable job of planning for them to travel really well in their, retri in their retirement. She said, just neither one of us realized he was going to be traveling to heaven first, leaving me to navigate life here. All of this planning he did, I watched how it brought her comfort even in her grief. She realized that by him putting their house in order, he was still caring for her, still loving her. Even though he was no longer physically there, what he was doing is the very best of him was still being lived out around her and with her, shaping her future. From that moment where she was laughing at the stereo, all the way up to when she realized all this goodness he had done for them, it brought her a whole new peace to her life, a peace that was complete with hope that comes from our God of bountiful mercies and a God of comfort. Friends, grief is hard. And I sincerely hope that each of us here can be an instrument of God's mercy and hope for someone that is grieving. I could do an entire sermon on all the different ways that you can help people in their grief. But Adam didn't give me a whole sermon series. He gave me 25, 20 minutes here. And so in that, I can offer you this instead. I'm going to come back and visit you again. I plan to come and present a workshop on putting your house in order. This is a workshop offered by the foundation, and I work with Methodists all across the state through this workshop. I'll be here on Sunday, February 4th, from 3 to 4.30 in the afternoon. In that 90-minute workshop, this is going to outline ways that you can take care of all of the life details that will make it easier for others when you leave this world. It's going to help them in their grief. As we get together during that time, I'm going to share with you things about why and how to go about getting a will or an estate plan. Even if you already have a will or estate plan, I can guarantee you I'm going to give you some nuggets of things to think about that you might want to add as well. If you don't have a will yet, it's a great place to start. I'm going to talk about ways to help others navigate the details of your home and life if you're incapacitated. I don't always say if, I really should say when we're incapacitated because it could happen to any of us at any time. We could be hospitalized due to an accident or injury or an illness that requires us to be gone from our life, our home, and all those kind of things for a couple of weeks or maybe more. And who can step in and how will they know how to take care of all those things for us? But also, too, now and then, we have to face the incapacitation that comes from like a stroke or from dementia or something like that. But as I come, I want to talk to you about leaving instructions of how to care for what has been important to you in your life. Even after you're gone, how can those things be taken care of? If you have children, small children at home, you need to think about how, who will provide for them and how will that happen? Maybe you also just need to think about your house, your cars, or a treasured collection. Or we could get real practical, think about your social media accounts. Do you want your Facebook to live into eternity? 
Or do you want somebody to be able to go in there and shut that down at some point? These are the kind of things that I'll talk to you about and get you thinking about so that you can go and make your own plan. And we'll also discuss decisions, um, or discuss things like the consideration of end of life decisions. Because there's like burial, cremation, do you want a funeral? Do you just want a graveside service? Do you want a gathering? Do you want all your people together? Do you want it something large? Do you want it something small? And what can you share and what can you write down that will have to help your pastor, help your family celebrate your life? Now, all the way through here, this is really not a financial or a legal workshop. It's about a workshop of the heart. So we're going to have talk about how to have conversations with the people in your life so that they understand what your hopes are and what you want. And all of this will be provided in this great workbook. It's this great um, like 50 page workbook that we provide that you can take home and fill out. And I really hope that you all come and join me. And I brought brochures and there's a bunch out here, Adam and I will both have them, um, that give you more information on this. Because not only do I hope you come, I really hope that you will bring a friend or loved one with you. Because this is something that we all need to tend to because it has a great impact on what is next for those around us. Because after all, the greatest gift we can leave through our legacy is bringing comfort to others when they're hurting. And my hope is that when we do that, we see how the floodgates open, the floodgates of God's mercy and God's grace right here on earth. And all God's people will say, Amen. Do you pray with me? God, we have thought of people that we have lost. We think of the hurt that we have all walked through and how we try to protect ourselves from that happening again. But God, we know it is inevitable that because we have loved and we love so deeply, we will also hurt when we lose someone or a way of life or something that has been important to us for so long. We are grateful that you walk every step of the road with us, that you have sent Jesus to journey alongside us, and by the gift of your Holy Spirit, you bring others into our lives that can walk it with us. God, we pray that not only will we always find comfort through our trials, but we will be the comforter to others as well. In your name we pray, amen.